This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Star Trek Strange New World Season 2 Episode 6 Lost in Translation is over, but we are just getting started here on Post Show Recaps. Hello, everybody. Mike Bloom here. So satisfied that of all shows, Star Trek Strange New World is finally able to answer the question, what did Bill Murray whisper in Scarlett Johansson's ear? Assumingly, that's what the title is referring to in a very grief-stricken, trippy horror-filled episode of Strange New World. Of course, I am not alone here. In true Lost in Translation fashion, I am going to the karaoke bar, perhaps played by the jazz band we saw in the last scene, and taking to the stage is, of course, the great Jessica Lise. Hey, Mike, you want a cookie? I've got a cookie. It's not even from the replicator. It's a real cookie. See, this is the thing. Uhura, I don't know how manic you are to deny a free cookie, that's, I'm assumingly, something that has carried through no matter what age humanity might be in. Yeah, you can tell something's really wrong with you if you don't want a cookie. Yeah. 
exactly. We oftentimes do not see these Starfleet members eating, much less going to the bathroom, unless Captain Pike is making them something. And even so, it <laughs> seems like the plates are relatively left untouched. So maybe that's just a horror being like, talking through gritted teeth. Okay, Kirk, I know you haven't been on the show long, but we can't do that right now. I mean, all Kirk did in the last time we saw him was eat. So yeah. it's like, I mean, he hasn't been, he hasn't been apprised of this yet. See, that's the thing is people are saying Paul Wesley's Kirk. He's not enough of a rule breaker, not enough of a maverick or renegade. This dude is breaking the cardinal rule of Star Trek by eating so much on screen. Yeah. Although, Mike, the way you you the way you constructed that sentence about people going to Pikes to eat, it was like you were saying people don't go to the bathroom unless they go to Pikes to eat. And it's like, <laughs> OK, what is in those replicators? Because they got to fix that. Yeah, uh, and maybe it's a matter of going with, you know, genetically modified organisms and the havoc it might wreak on your digestive system. Like, ain't no hypo spray for that type of stuff. Yeah, don't eat the dehydrated space food without putting water in it first. Exactly, but make sure you check what the water might be, you know, or else you get yep. Space Montezuma's revenge. Well, here we are talking about perhaps Hemmer's revenge for most of the episode here, at least what it was presented to us early on. In Lost in Translation, another classic Star Trek formula. One crew member is seeing things they shouldn't be seeing, and it's the big mystery to figure out what is going on and what is it putting in jeopardy for not only this character, but our entire setting as a whole. But I think the major thing that kind of overshadows this, Jess, is that this is, if we want to get ticky-tack, our first Official introduction to this timeline's version of James Tiberius Kirk as played by Paul Wesley. And it's a hell of a quote-unquote introduction as he is going to do his first partner up with somebody that's going to serve on his crew forevermore in Uhura. Yeah, Mike, I will be honest with you. Don't love this. I love Paul Wesley. I think he might be my favorite Kirk. Wow. Well, this is some high commendations. It's some it's a very short amount of time, but you know, he's really grown on me. I like the actor. I like what he's bringing to the role. I like what the writers are doing with the role, but come on, Mike, I didn't ask for a Kirk prequel. When I wanted when I manifested strange new worlds into being after Pike's run on Discovery, I wanted a Pike show. I don't need to I don't need this to be tied back to TOS at literally every single possible moment. And I don't want, I don't want Kirk to come in here and poochie his way into the main cast. It's <laughs> we've had too many Kirk references so far. It's too many Kirks. My name's Jamie Kirk and I rock the telly uh, just waiting for that rap sign to come in. Would have worked much better in 2022. I don't disagree on the surface. Certainly when we were getting a lot of Ahura and Kirk content for ma the majority of this episode, I was thinking, okay, are we starting to veer a little too much into the sanctified, rarefied air that so many fans attribute to TOS? And there's, they're working around it a bit. Back in the menagerie, when they asked Kirk, have you ever worked with Pike before? Kirk says, oh yes, I met him right after he was made fleet captain. Pike is made technically fleet captain of two ships, and then Kirk meets him. So they're trying to work their way around it but honestly Jess I don't disagree and I watched that final scene and the shot we ended on and maybe I'm completely spinning off on another note here but I would not be surprised if Strange New Worlds hopefully continues to have the legs that it does goes on to like 
season four, season five, Anson Mount, for whatever reason, is like, I want to move on to other projects. I think this could easily be a setup for them to transition strange new worlds from the Pike Enterprise into the first days of the Kirk Enterprise. Well, sure. Okay. I I could see that. I don't mind that in five seasons, but again, it's not, it wasn't on my wish list. I wanted the Pike show. It's like, I'm not, I'm not constantly thinking, huh, what's Jim Kirk doing when he's not on screen? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that also being said, it's interesting to have now Paul Wesley's Kirk be a main focus of two out of six episodes when our own dang captain hasn't been a focus out of two out of six episodes. You could argue episode four is the biggest highlight he's had so far. But if you compare the two, Kirk is starting to take over perhaps as the future captain in this aspect that has lionized the airtime. Now we do have four episodes ahead of us, but Jess, it feels like we come back here every week and we say, give us more Pike, who to your uh, remarks beforehand, I might go so far as to say, has very quickly become my favorite Starfleet captain, my favorite lead captain out of basically any Star Trek I've ever seen. And I'm still like Cisco's still up in the top spot for me, but Pike He's a better cook, it seems, from what we're alluding to. <laughs> yeah. Pike's a close second for sure. Uh but I think we're trying too hard to make this to I, I feel like we're doing one of those puzzles. Like I know you have a young son, so I know mm-hmm. you had one of these. We're doing a shape sorter puzzle. <laughs> and we are trying to cram the square piece into the star shaped piece so hard. We're doing the solo movie. Oh, they had a line about doing the Kessel run in 12 parsecs. Let's make the whole movie about Han Solo about doing the Kessel run in 12 parsecs. I feel like that's what we're doing here. Like mm. they're, they're being so careful to make sure all of it like fits so perfectly into canon. They're just like pounding on this square thing. And it's like, just put it in the square hole. Yeah. Like, tell us a better story. I don't need to. I, I know there's purists out there. that are going to disagree with this, but I don't need to have that. If it's going to take away from what is actually happening to these people and how they are reacting to it. Yeah, and I mean, listen, you could take after that big TikTok viral video and just put everything into the square hole, depending on how the pieces fit. And that's actually what I kind of feel about this episode is that, again, I totally co-sign a lot of what you're saying about what this might mean for the focus of the show and maybe even the future of it. But for me, it didn't take away from a lot of what it gave me, which is, again, that classic OG formula. We saw it how many times on TNG of one crew member is having something going on with them and they're trying to figure out it's very frame of mind in my opinion uh but not exactly in that direction where it was very much a a, a consciousness crisis with Riker. it starts as that becomes but becomes a bit more of a mystery of the week thing but in true strange new worlds fashion it distills onto larger themes this one being uhura really coming into contact with her sense of grief or lack thereof I am happy that we got to embrace this element and that Ahura says what a lot of us are thinking whenever we watch Star Trek of you're on the front lines. And even if you're an exploratory vessel, you are dealing with death on a daily basis. How do you deal with that? That's why I like bringing in Ensign characters to kind of experience that through new eyes. And then to map that onto the death of Hemmer, which I would be remiss not to ask you about Jess in general, the sort of Tasha Yar 
of Strange New Worlds in the way he was killed off near the end of season one. What did you make of the way his character came to an end and particularly the way that was brought back into this episode through apparently multiple people? Well, Mike, you raised some really good points about how grief is handled in the Star Trek universe. And I will say, watching season one, Hammer was one of my favorites. I loved that guy. And I, but even as I loved him, I respected the move to kill off a character that you actually love. At this point, it's kind of, it's a little bit unprecedented in the Star Trek world in a lot of ways. There's not they've tried to kill off main characters before and sometimes they're like oh wait that character was too main we got to walk it back okay mm-hmm. didn't really die we brought him back you know don't cry it okay um but it is they really struck a great balance here because so many times like even going back to the original series you'd have like six people go for an away mission and it'd be like three main and three red shirts uh-huh. and then it's like oh no Ensign Bloom is dead. Oh no, it's like, yeah, we just learned this guy's freaking name five minutes ago. We're not sad about it. And nobody on the ship, like, because they didn't establish it with us, they don't feel the need to establish the connections with anybody on the ship. And over time, they got better at this. But it still felt a lot of times like if you killed somebody on Star Trek, it was like, you're just killing them so you don't have to put the actor on the show anymore or because you need somebody to die for the plot to move forward. And I think it's not really until Deep Space Nine that you start getting like um, O'Brien's friend Enrique mm-hmm. who shows up in like five or six episodes and then he dies and you have actual moments where you sit with the grief. But you still only do it for an episode. Like they kill him off. They send him to Stovacor at the end of the episode. They never see him again. Mm-hmm. That's not how grief works like that. It's it comes back in weird ways and weird places. And usually when somebody's grappling with grief in the Star Trek universe, it's the death of somebody that they that we've never seen before that they it's like part of their mythology. It's like, you know, my parents were killed in a terrible accident and it informs my every decision. But, you know, the person that you served with on the ship who got killed last week, that's not going to inform any of your decisions going forward because we already established what your rules are within the show. It's like any death that happens over the course of the show doesn't affect you going forward. And here we're doing that. It's like we get to grieve Hammer. Uhura gets a chance to grieve him. She gets a chance to have some really good conversations and yeah it's something you would do especially in this day and age if you lose a friend you're going to be going back through the photo albums you're going to be going back through like their old tiktoks or whatever and it's not going to be a linear process and it's going to inform everything you do from that point forward I love the point you brought up about it not being a linear process as well, because I think maybe the qualm people would have is like, well, he died in season one, episode nine, and we know from the premiere that like six months have passed what's going on with the timeline, but grief is very messy in that for many reasons, you can push down feelings and power through. Uhura gets a promotion. She has all these other great things that she's doing that she almost has these other outlets to push those feelings aside. But when you have a literal zombified version of this person you are grieving in front of you, it makes you face those feelings head on. I thought Celia Rose Goodling was really fantastic in this episode. And to your point about previous iterations of this type of trope, the Ahura and Hemmer relationship was so earned. That was something Mm -hmm. that was going on starting in, I think, episode three 
where the two of them, or episode four, I believe, is the storyline where the two of them are trapped in engineering and he has to talk her through like dismantling the warp core so it doesn't explode. And so I love the seedings of that relationship and the idea, of course, of like the upstart rook and the calcified mentor who then warms up over time and the hammer we see in this like YouTube instructional video that she's ruminating on over the course of this episode shows how far that character went before he ultimately does sacrifice himself. And the ultimate message of this episode, I think, is always a good reminder. And ironically enough, it's said in the previously on of all places, where we go back to one of Ahura's lines from season one, the people you love can cause you the most pain, but the people you love can mend your heart when it's broken. And from a mental health perspective, I just really champion this idea of, you know, all feelings are good feelings in a manner of speaking of if you try to just keep pursuing the happy side of things and putting away what makes you sad, what makes you angry, that that's a recipe for disaster. Uh, and that essentially you want to make sure you embrace all the things that don't make you feel good as well, because that's the entire human experience and it's not healthy. It's inside out all over again, Jess. It's very true. You know, there's a, there's actually a, outdoor screening of inside out happening tonight that i think we're gonna go to um but i think it's really interesting that they've managed to take maybe one of the most tired star trek storytelling tropes and i can name easily like even off the top of my head and i'm not the star trek encyclopedia you are by any means mike but how many episodes of star trek have there been like arguably last week we had one of these where it's like oh, mysterious alien presence needs mm -hmm. to communicate something, but it's such a different alien, it doesn't know how. So it unintentionally- I mean, that was the entire storyline of Star Trek Discovery season four, right? <laughs> right, right. It unintentionally hurts these crew members that it's just trying to communicate with. And we've had this story so many times that it's like, how are we going to make this fresh and different? And they did it. Like, yeah. I, they did it so well that, like, you almost don't even notice that you're getting the same story two weeks and back to back. Well, we're talking about Inside Out. Let's go outside in here as we go through this episode. And what I do love in retrospect is how impressive the opening introductory scenes look in comparison to what we now know in retrospect that Enterprise and the Farragut have been outposted to Bannon's Nebula right at the edge of explored space where there is this new refinery that is being built to uh, mine deuterium, uh, which is in the gases around them to help make starship fuel. Oh yeah, and it does happen to be like right near Gorn space as well because we're still dealing with that thing, though we're not really. And to look back on, you know, both Pike pontificating on how this could be heralding in a new age of exploration to the very impressive visual of them opening up those nacelles to take in all the deuterium from the outside just when we find out that this is essentially them opening up the crab trap and torturing all these aliens <laughs> that are inside these gas particles, it does tint the lens a bit. Just, just a little bit. I hadn't really thought about it that way, but yeah, we are we are hurting the we are hurting the nebula aliens every time we harvest their byproducts. Which I feel like that's been done on Star Trek two or three or five or 25 times too 
So Ahura is going to be hearing a strange noise over her earpiece. <laughs> the intergalactic planetary noise. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's, it all gets brought back. Listen, we know how much Starfleet is obsessed with 20th century pop culture. I think it makes sense. Let's bring it back. Everything old is new again. Yeah. And, you know, they love the Beastie Boys in particular. Like, we're going to put Kirk in something. We got to put the Beastie Boys in. Well, we are going to be talking about sabotage in this as well. So That's true. So the other thing that we talked about before is obviously the Hemmer in the room as Ahura is going to do a diagnostic on the comms system, walking through a tutorial that Hemmer had been doing. And Pelia is going to kind of walk on and lampshade things a bit by saying, A, I haven't been in a couple of episodes, and B, is that the reason why you're not talking to me? It's not that I just come and go on the Enterprise as I please. It's that you hold some resentment towards me because I'm the new Hemmer. Yeah, I mean, this is this is something that if you have to manufacture tension, at least you have something to manufacture it from. Yeah, that does make sense of how there is some resentment being made towards Pelia because of what she represents, which again, is not her own fault, but it's always going to be a little awkward We'll talk about it later on. They should have stopped this moment here with Ahura. I did not think it worked with Una whatsoever. No. I don't think Una is the person you go to for this. Yeah, I just rewatched season one, and I could count the number of Una Hemmer moments on one hand. The Ahura Hemmer dynamic was obviously much more built out. I didn't really see it coming that Una is the one that's mourning Hemmer and is taking it out. On Pelia, honestly, I think it would have been a better comedic beat and dramatic beat if they had stopped it at, you gave me a C in Starfleet Academy, and so I hold resentment towards you. Yeah, see, that's that's funnier. Like, that's lighter, and it's not it's not forced. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know who exactly you need to have. Like, maybe it has to be Uhura to have that conversation with Pelia. Um, but I don't know who else was so close to Hammer that it feels like it means something. So speaking of Hemmer, we are going to see a very different version of him than we even saw in archival footage as she's going to get on the turbo lift. And there is probably one of the most gruesome images, Jess, I think we've ever seen in Star Trek <laughs> in the zombified undead version of this poor Anar. Jess, you are part of our panel that are in-house experts on all things zombie here on Post Show Recaps. How did this work for you, especially within the Star Trek setting? I mean, Mike, I'm not the person to ask if a zombie was effective anymore. Because I've been <laughs> You're so, so desensitized. Look, look, Walking Dead Dead City brought us a zombie rat king that Ooh. was made up of like five other zombies melted together to make a giant one giant zombie with multiple limbs and faces. And after I saw that, it's like, oh, it's a zombie. Okay. I, I don't have anything left for zombies. And I it's unfortunate that these are both my realms because I feel like this probably is effective if you don't look at zombies all the time. So Ohora is going to be encouraged by Mbenga to go get some sleep. He feels like she was poisoned by the deuterium that she did take in opening up the comms system. But she doesn't want to sleep anymore. She doesn't want to close her eyes uh, as she faces her own Armageddon. She's in she doesn't this... want to miss a thing. <laughs> exactly. As she's part of this very plaintive field by a lake in her dream. We'll find out, of course, the very morbid circumstances behind that later. Another quick plot note, uh, Pelia and Una are going to be leading up a couple of different crews to get this refinery 
back online at the request of Starfleet. Pelia is a little bit on the mole patrol here. She feels like things are breaking down, oddly enough, faster than they could be working. Una is, of course, just putting her head down, trying to plow through. But the big to-do, Jess, is Kirk officially arriving on this version of the Enterprise. And what I do appreciate, again, I think you could take or leave perhaps a bit of our canon mixing in the fact that this is where Kirk and Uhura end up meeting, but I really enjoyed all of our time with the Brothers Kirk here. It felt deepened, obviously, in a way that we got on the surface level, given the Sam-Kirk relationship in TOS, but it also felt distinctly humorous as well, that Sam, you could feel, is very much the black sheep stick in the mud, and Kirk is the little brother that got all the attention and is the apple of their father's eye. Yeah, it, it felt like whoever wrote this relationship has siblings. It definitely it felt real and it's definitely this is one of those places where i don't mind the building out of a throwaway scene from canon because really how much did we know of sam kirk prior to this we knew william shatner in a mustache pretending to be a dead body basically yeah. and so to put sam kirk here at first as a fake out when they call somebody kirk and it's mm -hmm. not jim kirk and then to have that be like the predication on which we bring Jim Kirk back into the fold for a minute. This is okay. I'm, I'm fine with this, especially because it informs the Kirk that we're probably going to be spending more time with in the coming weeks. Yeah, I think so as well. I also love the shout out to Kelvin, right? I believe that is the mm -hmm. ship that George Sr. ended up serving on. And this is interesting as well. I, I believe it's been mentioned before in canon that Sam goes by Sam. I think even in Strange New Worlds, he mentions that, but it's a little bit of like Tom Paris to me, Jess, of like, I don't want to be affiliated with that guy. I want to be my own person. I'll keep the last name, but I'll go with a different first name here. But things come to loggerheads a bit as Kirk is celebrating the fact that he is the newly announced first officer of the Farragut. He's going to be on the fast track to becoming the youngest first officer in Starfleet history, soon to become the youngest captain. And Sam is basically using this as a way to bring to the surface oh, great, you're the Starfleet officer that dad always wanted to be. Kirk is trying to, like, bring them together, saying, we can make the old man proud of our own in our own ways. And Sam replies, or not. And Sam is only going to get one more scene here. But I do appreciate his perspective that, again, he is a little Squidwardy to me uh, in just, like, the Debbie Downer that he is. We see this actually in the first Ahura episode where he kind of, nearly ruins everything with that big egg in the middle of the alien planet. But I do like later down the line that he will be the one to save the day, but it won't be like a complete louding happy ending for the character because that's not the way we're doing Sam Kirk in this show. No, clearly not. And it's another one of those situations where it's like, you know how the story ends. So we can have some fun within it, but we know where it's ultimately going to go. Let's do a quick Spapple stop in here. I was very intrigued to see that the previously on followed up immediately on the events of the previous episode. I shouldn't have set my expectations that high because it's down to one game of 3D chess where Spock is like, we should talk about our relationship to HR. And Chapel's like, no, because <laughs> I don't really do labels right now and I don't want to ruin a good thing by formalizing it. And Spock will go ahead despite it being the less logical choice but it will segue nicely into 
when Ahura met Kirk, they're sitting at the bar as Kirk is going to remark, and I like how this ties into him hustling the people in chess to make extraordinary amounts of money a few episodes ago in Toronto about remarking on Spock's bad chess game. And I also really enjoy the first words that they say to each other of Ahura saying that she knows Kirk, Kirk replying, oh, you're friends with Sam. And Ahura says, look, I really don't want to be hit on right now. And she goes, oh, you're friends with Sam. Okay, my <laughs> reputation precedes itself. Yeah, I, I love this. And I also love, I, I love that we're not leaning so hard into like the somewhat creepy Shatner Kirk of it all. It's kind of like maybe some of this comes from hearsay. Like maybe some of Kirk's legendary reputation for making out with random green alien chicks. Maybe this is coming from hearsay. I don't know. We haven't seen an Orion yet uh, besides those pirates back in season one. So maybe Kirk just has a very specific type at the moment. It's true. I mean, he got around in TOS, let's be real. But um, I think it's really funny given like all the weird things that are going to happen to Uhura and Kirk that this relationship starts out so weirdly like the next time she sees him she punches him in the face yeah let's talk about that as the visions for ahura will continue she's out in the hallway and sees the slaughtered officers all around her and then she turns around and thinks she's fighting herself luke skywalker style but this would be like if luke skywalker cut off darth vader's head and yoda's like ah do that why you uh as it turns out that kirk was the one who she was fighting, uh, he went out to make sure that she was okay. And as they get brought into her quarters, she is going to brief him on this. Now, what I do find really interesting over the course of this episode is after I watched this, I did watch the infamous kiss between Kirk and Ahura from TOS, which again, for the Star Trek so woke crowd, just a brief reminder that Star Trek TOS did have the first American televised interracial kiss. Just putting that out there. But I remember from that scene, as Ahura and Kirk are forcibly driven into each other's arms, Ahura is going to remark, whenever I felt scared on the bridge, I would always look to you and your, you know, braveness and ability to face anything, no matter what the cost, always kept me going. And I think that actually reflected really nicely on this episode, where despite obviously Ahura becoming more and more undone as she finds out more and more or perhaps less and less about what may be happening. Kirk is there by her side trying to be the stiff upper lip, trying to encourage her to either proceed forward or take a step back for her own sake. It, it's really wild how, you know, we are six episodes deep into this season and we've had two episodes so far of Kirk being let in on some nonsense and him just kind of rolling with it. Um, and it's two different Kirks on two different occasions. So it's not even like he's used to people bringing him in on nonsense. It's like, this has happened to him twice. And he kind of, it's so consistent the way that he responds to it and just kind of, yes, ands it. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. 
Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So going back to the refinery briefly, we do find out that there has been some sabotage. And unfortunately, as much as a Vulcan in Star Trek The Undiscovered Country might tell us, this person did not throw a shoe into the machine. But he certainly is looking all a tizzy. There is this guy from the Farragut named Saul Ramon who has been found rocking back and forth, just muttering to himself that it's too close. This isn't real. He's going to get brought aboard the Enterprise to get checked out and... Probably not a good idea in retrospect, as while he is being inspected by Mbenga, Ramon is going to flat out slash Mbenga. There's a lot of surprising knife work in this episode of Strange New Worlds. Where are they getting these knives? This feels pretty primitive. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I don't know why Mbenga would have a scalpel on hand. and I don't know why Ahura would have a knife either. What do you think the aliens were communicating to them by saying, no, you fight with a knife, not a, not a phaser? It's like, don't bring a knife to a gunfight? I suppose so, but the knife is going to be mightier than the phaser here, as he is able to get away. And for the next little bit, we are going to get a little bit of a manhunt happening as Ramon, they're trying to follow his tracks. He does end up actually killing a member of the Enterprise crew as he is trying to make his way into engineering. Ahura is going to also experience the walls closing in, both literally and metaphorically as well. And she will find blood leading into the port nacelle. Despite Kirk's remarks, she will go in alone and figure out that he wanted to vent the fuel pods. He successfully does so and is blown into the vacuum of space. And so now... Unfortunately, their trail of finding out what's going on has grown as cold as poor Ramon's body. Yeah, this is this is rough. But again, like we just saw two people die and nobody's ever going to respond to this except like we need to fix the thing that made the people die so that nobody else dies. And again, it's it's like a weird thing with the grief on the Star Trek. Like it doesn't matter who those people are. They died to serve the purpose of the plot. Well, though, speaking on that grief, let's talk about a very interesting dynamic here, as now everyone is trying to piece together the posthumous logs of Ramon to see what his path was, as 
Laon, of course, quite taken aback by this version of James Kirk. She did end up hailing him at the end of episode three just to make sure that like the timeline was regulated. But obviously she's grieving him in a very different form. And it leads to this very awkward introduction slash reintroduction. And they're going to connect, though, in this form over the idea of Kirk's sense of charity and having to help those in need. He tells the story about moving from place to place due to his father's position in Starfleet and the initial resentment that can be held towards my father is putting other people's lives over the happiness of his own family. But Laon is able to speak from her place of as one of those strangers that Starfleet saved. It is incredibly valuable work that needs to be done. And I think it's a really nice scene for the two of them. And I think does get past that awkward first hurdle of, okay, now they have a relationship in this version. It's not obviously as comprehensive as what we got in that episode, but baby steps. Yeah. And I think you could have wasted a lot of time reestablishing all of this. And it's to their credit that they didn't. Now, that being said, do you think, especially the fact that Kirk ends up bringing up, yeah, I owe you a drink, especially if we keep getting more Paul Wesley, could we inevitably get to the similar nexus point from Toronto of the two of them knocking boots? I feel like you can't, like, there's got to be some kind of weird bro code stipulation about this. This is... There's something really creepy about it. Um, I think if you make out with somebody from another universe and then you find their counterpart in your universe, you always have a leg up on them. I don't think you could ever be on equal footing with someone having made out with their, you know, alternate universe counterpart um, because it's them, but it's not them. But you're bringing the baggage of them of not them to them. And I, I think it's just going to be too messed up. I don't think I can be a on Kirk shipper here. Yeah. But how much fun would it be when we inevitably get Khan being introduced and Kirk being like, I'm going to dig in the knife even further since we're playing with knives. Yeah. Uh, not only am I stranding you on SETI alpha five, but I boinked your great, 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 great granddaughter. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a pretty good card to play. Well, this is how we know it doesn't happen because he doesn't make that point. Now, or he does not kiss and tell. Maybe maybe that's like the one notch in his bedpost that Kirk decided to keep a secret. We shall see. Uh, though, as we saw from the Wrath of Khan, sometimes those demons end up getting drudged out for Kirk proper. Well, speaking of demons from the past, this is where Uhura is going to have a bit of a reveal session to Kirk as she is going to look at Ramon's logs and realize that if she is on the same path as him, she basically has like a day and a half until she gets to the very extreme point that he did. And she is going to talk about how back when she lost her family, which as a reminder, the tragic backstory of Ahura is that she lost her entire family in one fell swoop in a tragic shuttle accident. And how despite the fact that she wasn't around for it, every time she closed her eyes, she visualized it. And when Hemmer died, all of those feelings came back. She tried covering it with work, but as she herself admits, the truth is... I've never been able to face death. And she has this identity crisis. How can I be a Starfleet officer if I can't handle death? And I love how this echoes back onto what we've been tracking with the horror character since the beginning, right? Her other episode was her at Pike's place saying, 
Yeah, I don't know if the whole Starfleet thing is for me, to be completely honest. I kind of just jumped into it after I lost my entire family. And I'm glad that while she has gained some confidence, we are going back to that area because, again, I feel like that is also something that does not instantaneously go away when you have a couple of good missions. And Kirk says the right thing at the right time in the right place in true Kirk fashion. He says, right now, death is winning. It convinced you to forget them because it's less painful than holding on to their memories. Now you can let death win or you can fight back. Hold on to them. And for this guy who is has always been and will always be about taking these unconventional approaches, about it being a very much us versus them, let's take them down. Let me win the Kobayashi Maru, the no-win situation. He provides the winning scenario to Ahura here. Yeah, it's so many very subtle callbacks here. And Mike, I want to go back because we actually, like what we were saying earlier about this show being such a great encapsulation of how grief is really processed and worked through and it's like this is in her backstory and it does inform her character but it also it comes back around when other situations remind her of it and this is beautifully done here um because you know the sad part of life is that you never stop losing people yeah exactly like it's an inevitability Death and taxes, right? Those are the mm -hmm. two things, even though Starfleet ends up getting rid of one of those in the future. And so the idea that you have to face it in whatever way you can, because it's just a part of the process, seems so easy on paper. But due to the intense emotions involved, it's understandable why Ahura does the things and did the things that she has done. And why it all just brims to the surface for here. And again, Celia Rose Gooding, I think, does such a good job in this particular scene that when Kirk tells her, much like in a Spock sense, open up your emotions here, put the blockers down and allow yourself to come face to face with the people that you've lost, that there are tears streaming down her face as, again, she rewatches this archival footage of her and Hammer. And of course, this is going to lead to a breakthrough as they're going to find out Essentially, interdimensional aliens have kind of hitchhiked themselves to all these deuterium particles and are trying to reach out to somebody, anybody to help them in their own way, shape, or form. Yep. It turns out they, they don't want to hurt you. They don't understand that you're hurt. They just need for you to stop hurting them. And it's, it's such a classic Star Trek trope of we're trying to communicate a message, but we're so different from the... We are, th this alien species is so different from anything you've ever seen before that it doesn't have any way to send you a message. And I do love the lampshading we occasionally get on Strange New Worlds of, yeah, Star Trek could be really silly sometimes when they just sum it up with, invisible aliens are using your brain as a universal translator. Yeah, and to have that go through Uhura is, is of course, extra poetic. Absolutely. But a little Temerian on the aliens part by using her memories, essentially, to communicate how this all is making them feel. So, Mike, are you saying that are you saying if they did that with one of us, it would just be like terrible TV memes? Yeah, I think it'd be a lot of like, hey, I feel crushed right now. So here's Suri getting advantage getting out of Survivor Game Changers. It's like, OK, this I understand how this makes me feel. So now I can see how they feel. Yep. I, I feel better hurting someone who's next to you. So here's here's Sugar gasping and Maddie Smith smiling. Yes, exactly. It's showing the, the diaspora of emotions that are attached to it. So basically now the goal is 
shut down the refinery. We need to save these deuterium aliens. Uh, but the problem is the refinery went online five minutes ago. They can't shut it down, which they say is due to what Saul Ramon did, despite the fact that the aliens were trying to get Saul Ramon to help them. So maybe Ramon was not the best vessel, but Ahura is. Uh, and she allows the aliens to probe deeper in a manner of speaking. She actually yep. she sees the shuttle accident and she urges them to keep going uh, to essentially let her see what needs to be done. And she comes to the bridge with that solution. She tells Pike about what they discovered and seeing zombie Heller alongside him, she pleads with him, basically, we have to blow up the station at this point to save this interdimensional species. And again, what I love about Pike is this dude does not cock his brow, doesn't even give it a moment's beat to think it over, says, okay, I believe you. Let's do it for the greater good. The fact that this dude can pivot as good as Erica Ortega's can with the Enterprise ship in general, I think is honestly leadership aspects to be aspirational towards. I mean, that's how you make fleet captain, Mike Bloom. Exactly, of those three ships. <laughs> Two and a half, maybe. <laughs> Two and a half ships. There's a Star Trek, this Star Trek spinoff we don't want. Well, RIP half that ship, though, as indeed they do get the refinery evacuated. They blow it up, and it seems like even though we don't see it, the aliens are good to go about their fanciness. And even Pike is able to tell Ahura, like, don't worry, I'll take the blame for it. I don't want this to reflect badly onto you. You've dealt with enough today. Yeah, he'd just be like, yeah, we pressed the wrong button. My bad. Well, I think he could also pull the card of, did you really want us to do this? Or did you want us to get close to the Gorn? And if that's the case, should it come at the cost of destroying an interdimensional alien race? Yeah, and that is really convenient to put it next to the Gorn like that, because that just gives them, uh, you know, it, it is entirely possible that's the whole reason they were there in the first place. And I think just even injecting that is going to give him a really plausible out. So that's good storytelling there. Yeah, cause, because he wasn't a part of that first episode where we had that sort of end credit stinger, right, of April saying, oh, there's Gorn threats that are closing in. But it seems like he has been briefed somewhat on perhaps... The mounting threat, which is why the instant mounting threat, which is why he wanted to station himself there. Or it might be coincidental that they obviously faced the Gorn firsthand a couple times. They're like, okay, we're the Gorn experts. I understand. But at the moment, everything seems to be okay. And talk about saying farewell to things. Just straight out of like Return of the Jedi Force Ghost style, hammers back to his regular version and basically waves goodbye as he fades back. Yeah. Well, there, you know, we're, we're getting tropey. We're tropey AF in this episode. I, I'm, I'm not mad at it. So I talked about this before, but this is where we also get the resolution of the Pelia-Una dynamic where they are really at loggerheads the entire episode. Una's going to call her a space hippie. Pelia will be the umpteenth person to say that Una is too much of a stickler for the rules. She actually psychoanalyzes her a bit and says that she basically hides behind regulations to like give herself the out to put herself above everybody and look down upon them and as they take the shuttle ride back together uno will admit i did take your class you gave me a c and i have to wonder jess literally every character in star trek history prior to this point has probably taken pelia's class no yeah it, it must not be very easy to pass 
I mean, apparently not. She is a, a hard stickler. I also love when earlier when Aura talks about Hemmer dying and Pelia says, oh, he was a great student. That's a lie. I'm sorry. I just said it to make you feel better. He was fine. <laughs> yeah, I want to know who Pelia's best student was. Because that person's probably running things. Yeah, it has to be like the rarefied air. Maybe it was James T. Kirk, for all we know. True to the Wonderkind status of him. I mean, Speak could it be Scotty? Maybe it was Scotty. I would adore that. If Look, again, if we are slowly but surely trickling in the TOS casting in this new version, if we somehow get Montgomery Scott to appear here, and it turns out that Pelly is like, now that's my greatest student. Yes. That would be pretty amazing. Here for it. Yeah, that she was the one to teach him the method of promise twice the amount of work. So when you get it done in half the amount of time, you're a miracle worker. Exactly. So you talk about the tropiness. Let's finish on a bit of a trope here. Jess, it's the return of the musicians playing in the bar on a starship. God, what is it with Star Trek using jazz to sublimate their grief? Oh, I adore it so much. I was waiting for Vic Fontaine to come out, honestly. I know that Pike doesn't like holograms, but I wish he made just this exception. Yeah, I, I need Vic Fontaine or I need like a... And need like a secret Riker cameo playing the trombone. Yeah, like a young Riker. How old? He'd probably be like seven at this yeah, point. Yeah, <laughs> like child prodigy Riker playing the trombone. Doesn't even actually need to be Riker. It could just be Frakes. Like put Frakes up there and have him play the trombone. That would be hilarious. Well, he is directing next episode. So that would have been a pretty amazing cameo. He could be the Jeffrey Combs of Star Trek Strange New Worlds of just making a bunch of different appearances here. As Ahura is going to show a pic of her family to Kirk. They're going to toast to staying in the fight. Aurora's going to wonder out loud, why me? But Kirk will compliment her, saying she's empathetic. She's a good listener. Sam's going to come over. And <laughs> again, I love that there is like the hero moment for Sam, that he was the one to diagnose this. But he ends up apologizing to Kirk and very clearly is fishing for an apology. And the look on this actor's face as he just grows more and more frustrated as he waits for the time to pass is so good. And of course, they're still going to be, be brothers at the end of the day. And Kirk's going to respond like, why do I need to apologize for being extremely competent? No, I refuse. And Sam's just going to frustratingly walk away. This, that's like lower decks levels of humor. Yeah, setting up perhaps for next week. And speaking of setup... We get a pretty dang big moment in canon as this, of all times, in all places, is how the infamous pairing, arguably the most famous pairing in Star Trek history, of Kirk and Spock finally happens. Spock is going to walk over, just making a spare comment. I did like how this piggybacked off of him just absolutely lashing out at Sam Kirk in the last episode, how they're basically bonding over how much Sam Kirk sucks, and <laughs> that's how they meet, is pretty damn amazing. We get the sort of Predator-esque close-up on the two of them shaking hands, and it closes out on the three future bridge crew members of the USS Enterprise chatting together as the camera slowly moves back, out from not 10 forward, and the doors shut. It's beautiful. It's so original series-y. It's... It's like all the good things about the original series. Yeah, though, I guess to what we brought up before with the possibility of a Scotty appearance as Pelia's best student, I mean, do you think we're going to be slowly trickling more TOS people out throughout Strange New Worlds? Or do you think they're going to remain relatively conservative 
in keeping Spock and Uhura as part of the bridge crew with the occasional uh, Kirk appearance. I think it's got to be the latter, Mike. I mean, we have a few years left. I think there's probably another good two or three seasons at bare minimum of this of this series. It's so good. It seems to be well-received. Everybody's watching it. I don't think we want to shoot our wad. I think we need to, we might bring in one more next season. We might bring in a couple more after that. But I think we can't lean too heavily into this, even if that is endgame. Well, not to mention that I think Strange New World has done a good job of leaving plot points out there and not feeling the immediate need to follow up on them. Remember, we still have a cyborg in this show that technically is around yet is just still imprisoned on Vulcan right now. So I think they're just going to do some sprinkles from a canonical perspective and not give us the full Sunday. But speaking of canonical sprinkles, Jess, whoo boy, we got ourselves a sweet treat next week as Mm -hmm. finally the moment we have all been waiting for is here upon us in less than a week to answer mr peanut butter from bojack horseman's inevitable question yes this is a crossover episode the strange new world's lower decks crossover episode is happening next week those old scientists i i'm doing the shaquille o'neal shimmy i can't wait yeah, so talk to me about your expectations going into this because Rob Studino always likes to say lowered expectations are the key to happiness, but you and I are both big fans of lower decks. And this is, of course, a rarefied air. We have seen characters cross over singularly here and there in Star Trek series, sometimes in a small capacity, sometimes in a large one. This feels distinctly different. This is two current series really getting along or perhaps not so i mean the closest thing i can think of is that tng two-parter where they stop by deep space nine and bashir and quark make a couple of appearances but this just feels incredibly different maybe it's because of the nature of lower decks which is i will still say the most meta piece of pop culture i have ever experienced lovingly so in how much they talk about it the fact that we now get an excuse for Boimler and Mariner to travel back in time and geek out over the Pike Enterprise is going to be so fantastic. Yeah, I, I it would be really hard to screw up, honestly, Mike. I I can't see I can't see this being disappointing. I what? I I don't know what they could do. Like, what would they do? What would they possibly do to upset us? Like, just the fact that it's happening is making me happy. Yeah, and not to mention the fact that it is directed by Jonathan Frakes, which you know, is in incredibly good hands. Uh, it's also written by Catherine Lynn and Bill Wolkoff. Catherine Lynn also wrote the episode we talked about last week in Charades, so it's very clear that she is an expert on all things comedy when it comes to Star Trek as well. So I'm really excited. Again, I don't want to put the shuttlecraft above the Enterprise, but I, I feel like we're set up for a lot of fun here even just seeing the live action version of jack quaid with his purple hair like there's a clip if you want to get a sneak peek on the ready room this week of boimler being checked out and him absolutely melting over the idea of being on the old version of the enterprise and seeing pike and being a little weirded out by una which is interesting that just makes me so giddy this is literal star trek fan fiction ensconced within a larger show that is basically Star Trek fan fiction. Yeah, I mean, Mike, I was actually about to say, like, I love that we're now living in the era 
where fan fiction writers are obviously in the writer's room for so many of our shows. It is really like the ascendancy of fan fiction entertainment uh, for so many reasons. And this is just like, it's like the platonic ideal of that. Now, let's make a prediction here. Do we see the live action version of any other Lower Decks characters? Or do you think, again, speaking to our whole TOS aspect, it's just going to be these two? I think it's just going to be these two. We would have heard about it if any of the other actors had gone in. And I think there's certain ones that would ruin it. Do you think this opens up the door or the portal to Lower Decks Season 4 cameos from the Strange New Worlds cast? Oh, I'm sure. I mean, they did an entire ass episode about Deep Space Nine. So we are, it is almost inevitable that we're going to get some of those cameos. Um, I think there's also a possibility, like I would love for to see Lower Decks break format. Like, you know, we've done like, sort of like the community all claymation episode mm-hmm. let's do an all live action lower decks episode just for shits and giggles that would be fun listen if animators go on strike that might need to get to a certain point lower decks from home well jess this was a really fantastic recap of a very fantastic episode of a strange new world i think to go back to what we talked about in the very beginning I wonder if we look back on this episode in retrospect after a few seasons and start to see the beginning of a trend of not helping themselves and bringing Kirk more into the main fold. For what it's worth, the dose I feel like we got here was much like the deuterium, just the right amount, not a lot of poisoning, though we could possibly look ahead to trends in the future. And Jess, you are trending in doing a lot of podcasts nowadays here on Post Show Recaps, and Rob has a podcast. What do you want to plug this week? Ah, well, here on Post Show Recaps, we're talking about the final episode of Walking Dead, Dead City, which was a joy from start to finish. Like, if you were down on Walking Dead, if you gave it up a while back, and you want to come back to the fold, this is a great place to do it. This um, this is the best spinoff by a very long shot, and we've had so much fun covering it. So that's over there on Post Show Recaps. It's me, it's Chappelle, it is Josh Wiggler, and it's AJ Mass, and the four of us just had a blast covering it this season so there's that of course you and i are getting back together every monday to talk about tough as nails um the phil kogan hosted reality tv sensation over on rob's website and rob sestranino joins us for that as well and of course number one tough as nails podcast stan phil kogan also joins us sometimes as he did this week i had a bit of a shower thought here sonic shower thought jess it's phil kogan kind of like the christopher pike of reality tv hosts you know, I I could see it. You know, Phil Kogan, of course, has his own storied appearance. He's not canon, but mm-hmm. he is in the Star Trek universe. Yeah, and I, so I think the idea of, like, someone who is, especially the way he came on to us, like, willing to take feedback and immediately mm-hmm. apply it and be very yep. open-minded. Again, very much Pike receiving what Uhura was communicating to him and saying, without even a blink, okay, I will blow up this refinery. I think that receptiveness just very much carried over to me, as well as, like, Again, that's sort of like willing to get his hands dirty aspect that we get with Pike sometimes as well. I mean, Jeff Probst is definitively Kirk. I'm having trouble mapping the other hosts, but that's how far I've gotten so far. Yeah, um, I don't see Julie Chen as a Janeway at all. No, I wouldn't say so. I mean, I'm trying to think about, is there ever an android captain in Starfleet? That's probably (laughs) the closest she gets to it. (laughs) Maybe so. Maybe so, Mike. Um, So there's that. And then, of course, there's Amazing Race Canada. Not hosted by Phil Kogan, but still pretty boss. Um, Dan Heaton and I are covering that every week. So that's that's what I'm up to. 
Yeah, I'm excited to listen to this week. So I felt like one team should have needed the pep talk from Kirk as to not let failure win, perhaps, uh, when it came to them being a bit down in the dumps. Uh, you can check out all the stuff that I'm doing. I'm covering Star Wars Rebels here on the road to Ahsoka. Josh Wiggler and I are covering Battlestar Galactica as well. Did a really fun Big Brother Brant Steel to close out the BB-25 offseason that featured me in a ridiculous costume. If that alone is food for thoughts, emphasis on food, to check out that podcast, please do so. It was a very fun time. Very, very good Brant Steel. Next week, much like the costume I donned, the shenanigans will continue as the Lower Decks Strange New Worlds crossover episode happens in just a week's time. I have... No idea what to expect. I think, unfortunately, for Spock's misery, it is going to be pure shenanigans and malarkey. And I can't wait to break it down with you next week, Jess. Thank you all again so much for listening. I would like the pod to go now. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.